Major support for Out to Lunch on WWNO provided by the law firm of Jones Walker, established in 1937 with more than 375 attorneys and offices throughout the U.S., providing a comprehensive range of services to a local, national, and international client base, joneswalker.com, and from Iberia Bank, offering comprehensive banking services designed to meet the needs of consumer, small business, and commercial clients, serving Louisiana clients for 100 128 years and now serving a regional base with a commitment to developing people and investing in its communities. IberiaBank.com. Additional support comes from Luba Workers Comp and 30 North Investments. From Commander's Palace Restaurant in the Garden District in New Orleans, we're out to lunch with Peter Raschuti. Peter Raschuti is Tulane University's A.B. Freeman School of Business professor and economist. It's business, New Orleans style. Hi, I'm Peter Raschuti. Welcome to Out to Lunch. All of us have days when we'll get a piece of information that turns an otherwise perfectly normal day into a catastrophe. Uh, Maybe it's the result of a bad decision, maybe someone else's screw-up, or even a natural disaster. When bad days happen in our personal life, we can turn to a family member or a loved one for help. But when they happen in business, who do you turn to? In New Orleans, that person might be John Devaney. John is the president of a marketing agency called Simply Devaney. Whether it's Louisiana State's tourism response to the aftermath of the BP oil spill, hand-to-hand combat with the press and the mayor's office, or more genteel clients like the New Orleans Museum of Art, John's brand is crisis. John, welcome out to lunch. Thank you so much, Peter. When things aren't going bad at work, when they're going so well that you'd like to tell the world all about your business and your vision of the future and how it's going to make life better for everybody, you could call Jeff Coates. Jeff is CEO and creative director of Line 58, branding and web design. Jeff, welcome out to lunch. Thank you. It's good to have you here. Now, John, I'll start with you. John, you're involved in something we all are very familiar with, but it's kind of like a magic trick. We don't know exactly how it works. We see someone on the news who's on the bad side of something regrettable, explaining how things aren't really what they look like. There's even a special word for this syndrome, spin. You're the guy who has to come up with the spin, the positive angle, the alternative explanation. This is where the trick comes into it. How do you start this process? Are you like a lawyer who has, has to believe what his client tells him, or are you more like a psychiatrist where it's better for the client to start out with the absolute truth, no matter how bad it is? If I, if I had to pick between those two, the psychiatrist. Okay, because you have a couch. And, and a- also, I think most of my friends will be amused that, I, <laughs> that I'm leaning towards psychiatry. Unlike law, where, as you mentioned, the lawyer must zealously defend their client regardless of their state of innocence or guilt. Public relations represents our clients, but we also represent the public to our clients. A lot of people misinterpret that public relations is the megaphone for the organization to the public, but really it is a communication line. So while we're frequently telling the public this is what the organization's about, the most important part of our job is also telling the organization this is what the public wants. This is how they feel about what you're doing. This is how they view you. And public relations, and I know Jeff will agree, sometimes it's taking what the public perceives to be true and what the organization wants to be true and finding that right, that happy spot in between. You know what I think, and I know you mentioned you work with the the BP oil spill. I I think of two disasters and how differently they turned out. The BP oil spill will always be known as the BP oil spill. And yet, uh, Three Mile Island, uh, 
people don't remember that was General Public Utilities, a GPU. Uh, they just remembered as Three Mile Island. How do you begin to craft something like that so your name isn't always tainted? Well, this, the situation dictates it a great deal, and the news media has a good bit of control. But the, the BP oil spill, we're, we're very fortunate. You mentioned that I worked on that. Um, I've worked on that for a variety of clients, but we have never represented BP. Right, you were on the so state So we side. represented the State Department of Culture, Recreation, and Tourism. We represented the National Institute of Health, who's doing a long-term health study on the impacts of oil spills on communities around them. Um, with that, though, while BP is often slated as the, the villain in this, we're awfully fortunate that it was BP. You know, that, that BP at the very beginning said we're here to stay, we're committed to being part of the solution, and we're going to do what we can for the people that are involved. Had it been a smaller organization, someone who certainly was making a great deal of money every day in the Gulf, right, but, didn't have those resources. but didn't have those resources, they could have easily said, this is awful and I think you know, we're closing up our tents and going now, home. John, the thing I want to ask you about is so many business folks kind of, they just... They view the, the, the media as their foe in any kind of, any kind of situation. And they, they sort of, we, we go through this at the university where students are, are taught uh, at some point, though the media just kind of clam up and you know, pretend they're all 60 minutes. And you can use the media for some positive messaging. How do you get past that roadblock in corporate executives? One of the first things we do is we talk about what are your objectives in a media um, interview or a media coverage? And what do you think the media is? objectives are. And we boil it down to be very basic and it turns out that they're more in alignment than they are in conflict. The media do an exceptional job, um, especially you, Peter. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, they, they are able to take a complex story that has a significant conflict in it and boil it down to 90 seconds. Now, if I wanted to think of conflict, I only need to think of two members of my family. <laughs> Irish family, there's always conflict. I could not in 90 seconds describe any single member of my family. And the media does a great job of doing that. And their goal is to give the public all the facts on both sides and give them enough to know which direction this should go in. And Johnny, do any better at diffusing family problems? No, no. no family, I'm useless. That's a <laughs> my sister has told me so. <laughs> now, Jeff, no matter how great an idea I have for a local business or how much I think my great ideas could change the world, very little will come of my genius unless I can get the word out. Your niche seems to be working with very cool small business clients and giving them a hip, relevant presence in, in the real world and, and online. Which way does it really does the process work? Do you choose cool clients or can you take any business and make them look hip and relevant? <laughs> well, we're pretty fortunate in that at Line 58, we uh, seem to attract really, really good clients. So, um, you know, I would say that they're, you know, we're just lucky in, in who finds us. Um, and, you and know, help us out. Who are some of the names we would see your work in? Um, People here in New Orleans might know uh, our work for Aiden Gill for Men. Oh, they might know so. Lakeside Camera. They might know Woodward uh, Design Build, oh, yeah. construction company. Uh, we work with a lot of architects in town. Uh, oh, very cool. Yeah. And so um, in that sense, we're, we're really lucky about the people who come to us. But Jeff, how do you start out with a client? Uh, how do you decide what you want to highlight? I mean, they give you their story, and then do you go back and think about it? How does it work? 
Well, in, in general, so, so when, when people see our work, they see the end result. Uh, they see the logos, they see the websites, they see the, the print pieces or the stone monument wall or yep. the interior of Atomic Burger. Um, and they think that's what we got hired to do. The reality is that um, business owners, CEOs, uh, CFOs come to us to solve a problem. And so really what we do, people see the physical or the digital manifestation of the work, but really what we get hired to do is the invisible part behind it, the thinking that goes on, on behind it. So basically what we do is we help our clients grow their top line revenue and grow their businesses through solving complex problems that are around this idea of business strategy, differentiation within the marketplace, and then help them with pipeline development and engaging customers. And so what people see, uh, they think is that, you know, somebody came to us and asked specifically for that, but usually what it is is that we're solving a business problem using design thinking, and then that manifests itself potentially in an online presence, a sign, um, a logo, uh, product packaging, whatever. So people don't just say, uh, uh, create a logo for me. It's, it's, they might come with that, but it's much broader than that. They will, and what I tell them now is you can get a logo for $5 online, and you can get a website for $4 a month. <laughs> so there's no need to engage us for one of those projects if that's all you're interested in, right? <laughs> um, the challenge is that if you spend $5 uh, or $4 on your, on your website a month, or even $3,500, a lot of people, our, our clients come to us, and they're like, well, I spent this money on a website. I spent this money and I never saw a return on it. That's the problem, right? And so when they come to us, we're looking at the business side of it and say, how do we create a return on investment? What, what is the problem we're really solving? You're asking me for a website, but I will often tell clients in the first meeting, no one has come to me yet because they have too much money in the bank and they need to figure out how to spend it. So there's, a, there's another thing going on. And so through those conversations, we get to the deeper question and we get to that real, why are we here in the first place? And it's not really about a website. <laughs> Now, John, I've got to ask you this. Do you, do you get called upon after a crisis has occurred? Or you are kind of like on retainer for the next crisis for a company. How does that work? It, it happens both ways. So um, frequently an organization or an entity will anticipate this is happening. We see this on the horizon. This can be a problem. But we certainly get a lot of calls that this has happened. Um, there are national news trucks. You afraid to pick up the phone? I would be afraid. Oh no, no, okay. I love crisis. I love crisis when it's adrenaline junkie people's. Yeah, But sometimes it's um, all the national um, networks have their news vans in the front of our building, and this happened, and we need help. So we get just as many calls after the crisis has broken as we do in preparation. Now, because sometimes you can't anticipate, you don't know that something's about to break. How about this as an example? This obviously didn't happen. I, but if I have a, I'm a barge company and one of them got loose and it took out the Crescent City connection, you got that call five minutes later, where would you start? Gathering the facts. You know, there, there are a few things when it comes to crisis and communication is central. Um, credibility is the coin of the realm. So if your organization is involved in a crisis, you need to make sure that you remain and are a credible source and that you are the go-to source for information. The reason why that's so important is, Peter, if you are not the go-to source, then the public and the media will find another source. 
and then they'll stay with that source. You know, if someone has proven to be a reliable source of information, they will keep going back to them. And your position, though you may be dead center of the crisis, are not being turned to for information. So there's a few things that we counsel clients that they have to do in their communication approach. And one is to be quick. In other words, if the crisis has happened, you need to step forward and share information um, very, very quickly. So is candid. You need to say, this is what we know and that we don't know this. Candor is important because human beings spot that. And if, if we get a sense that you're being less than candid or less than honest, if you're trying to, I think you used a word I, I don't use, if you're trying to spin something, you lose that credibility and you lose that audience. So candor is crucial. Consistent is another one that's very important. So quick is important. Candid is important. Consistent is really important and people get tripped up a lot with that. And you won't need to put it in context. And I'll tell you, especially as a communicator, that is the most difficult thing to do. I'll give you an example of context. It was when we were managing the, the aftermath of the BP oil spill, and we were working with the State Department of Culture, Recreation, and Tourism. And as all your listeners will remember, the, um, the amount of oil was such a significant question. You know, at first we saw, we saw the videotape of Voldemort pouring into the Gulf right. of Mexico, so we saw that there was a leak. So BP lost credibility with their projection of what it was. The government then lost all its credibility with their projections. Um, a good bit into it, a, a third-party scientist came out and he did an analysis of the amount of oil that was spilled into the Gulf. Not looking at the volume of oil alone, but in, in context of the size of the Gulf of Mexico. And what the scientist said was that amount of oil was consistent with tipping over three cans of beer in the Superdome. Mm. Now, there's a lot of pluses to that statement. It gives you a, an, an idea of the vastness of the Gulf of Mexico, because we know the Super Bowl, or the Superdome, and we we've all know spilled three beers, beer, beer, at least three. So we get that. <laughs> um, but, but my team counseled the client, and the client agreed that we would never use that. And the reason why is, while it did a great job of taking a large, difficult concept and making it very concrete and very understandable, beer cans tipping over trivialized, you know, the, you know, people yeah. lost their lives, Does, you know, countless families lost their livelihood and their heritage and had no idea if or when it would be coming back. So we decided while that could be successful in giving that context, it was insensitive and inappropriate to the, to the lives lost and the people that suffered. Now, Jeff, I just want to ask you a question. You talk about the businesses you work with. How big do you have to be to have a, a PR marketing person? Um, well, uh, we sort of focus on small and medium-sized businesses. So, um, you know, our clients generally sort of top out 500 million or something. But we also work with a lot of startups and entrepreneurs. Um, so, again, going back to that sort of problem-solving, solving business problems, part, I, what I tell clients is that part of the business problem is where you are, and where you want to be and what resources we have to move from point A to point B because the solutions that we would suggest for a $270 million company uh, with a marketing budget of X are going to be very different than someone who has a $250,000 business and they're hoping to get to $350,000. And so what we try to do is meet people where they are. 
you know, and so to come and find that solution, and that's the problem-solving piece that I really like. It's not sort of a, hey, we have this solution, and here's the template, we're going to put it on you, but it's, again, what's the business? What are we trying to achieve? What's the biggest thing we can do with this investment that's going to move the needle for you so that 12 months from now, you can look back and say, that was a great investment. Let's now move on to the next level. And Jeff, do you, do you, um, do you, t do you charge a fee or do you take an equity position in these, these companies? Or? Um, generally, we're, it, it's fee-based. Uh, we have done things with equity positions on, on, on certain startups. Um, you know, I think anyone who's done that can tell you it's, it's, not, <laughs> it's not all it's cracked up to be. Um, but, you know, you do that if, if somebody, you know, needs some help. Sometimes you can, you, you can work with them on something like that. But mostly it's, uh, it's a fee basis, and we try to work within their budgets and then lead them up the ladder of success. Because as they grow, then they right, have, that's great they have yeah, more resources to, to put towards the efforts. <laughs> Let's check our inbox now. That's when our producer picks a question that's come in over the past week from a listener. Grant, what have you got? Peter, we have uh, two questions from professional question askers today. This one is uh, for you, Jeff, from Samantha Fritz. She's the community manager here at Commander's Palace. And she wants to know, what is the most popular social media platform in New Orleans what do New Orleanians prefer and what do they despise? Oh, it, it really depends on the, the niche and the market that you're going after. And this is one of the things that we talk to a lot of our clients about is there can be social media sites that are very popular, but they may not be popular with the people that you're trying to reach. And so what we're always trying to do is connect people in um, with where their potential clients their potential customers are having conversations so that they can come and then be a part of that conversation rather than saying, you know, for instance, oh, everybody's on Facebook or everybody is, you know, on, on Pinterest or everyone is over here. And sometimes when that happens, uh, you're chasing sort of the popularity or the latest thing and you end up having a conversation to no one. So I would say, you know, step one for us is always figure out um, who your clients are, who you're trying to speak with and find out where they are and then go in that. And Happily, sometimes that's not a very popular place, which is great because then you have more of an impact because you're not in this sort of overcrowded room trying to be heard. Well, John, here's a question for you from Hannah Romick, who's a news producer at WWL-TV. She says, how do you manage a relationship with a reporter who contacts you possessing information that could potentially hurt your brand? Part of it is what is the context of what, what is this information that they have? And there's a few... There's a few different categories. Now, one is, uh, oh, no, you know, we didn't know about that. This is a surprise. We're caught flat-footed. Another one that, one that happens most commonly is this is something that was going to come out. The organization was planning on announcing or planning on sharing it at some point in the future. Um, and now is not the time that they're ready for it. And Hannah's question is, is apt because it's how do you manage that relationship? Well, journalists have a job to do. And, and part of their job is the public good as well that I referenced earlier for public relations. Sometimes it's as easy as saying, you know what, Hannah, you have us on this. Don't know how you found out. We were not planning on releasing this for another 10 days. Sometimes you're able to work with the journalist. The journalist wants to get the best accurate relevant information out to the to the viewers and readers and listeners that they serve sometimes you can say hannah can we work with you we will open kimono we'll give you a lot of background you can speak to all our top people 
but it's important for us for these reasons. Can you hold off? Could we, instead of you breaking that story today, could you break it at the end of the week or could we have till Monday? In that sort of situation, and I'll tell you, journalists are, are great to work with. They're, they're, they're sharp, they know which way the world spins, they know how things work, but they're willing to say, I get it, you need to get things, you need the board to vote on this to make it official, we can work with you on it. But sometimes it's, it's um, recognizing that while we might have different um, masters we're serving, ultimately we can work together on getting good information. John Devaney, Jeff Coates, you guys are the definition of a balanced conversation. From the packager of good news about small businesses to the face of major disaster and crisis, it's been great talking to you. And if I ever have a good idea or a bad day, I know who I'm going to call. Thanks for taking the time to join me today for Out to Lunch. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks, guys. My guests on Out to Lunch today have been John Devaney, president of Devaney, and Jeff Coates, CEO and creative director of Line 58 Branding and Web Design. You can find out more about John's crisis management and Jeff's creative direction by following the links on our websites, www.no.org and itsneworleans.com. The, the show is recorded live over lunch at Commander's Palace in New Orleans. Commander's Palace serves lunch Monday through Friday, jazz brunch on Saturday and Sunday with live music and dinner seven nights a week. The producer of our show is Grant Morris. Our technical producer is Eric Merle. Jennifer Brady is our researcher. Mitch Foreman wrote and performs all the music at Out to Lunch. Mitch's new record, Puzzle, is out now. You can find out more about that at MitchellForeman.com. You can get the show as a podcast. You can listen to past shows. And you can keep up with us on all kinds of social media by going to our websites. It's NewOrleans.com and WWNO.org. If you want to know what we look like, you can find photos from this show on our website and Facebook page. These photos were taken by Allison Moon. Out to Lunch is a production of INO Broadcasting for itsneworleans.com and WWNO 89.9 FM. I'm Peter Raschuti. Thanks for joining me. I look forward to meeting you again next week around the table here at Commander's Palace for more business New Orleans style on Out to Lunch. Major support for Out to Lunch on WWNO provided by the law firm of Jones Walker, established in 1937 with more than 375 attorneys and offices throughout the U.S., providing a comprehensive range of services to a local, national, and international client base, joneswalker.com, and from Iberia Bank, offering comprehensive banking services designed to meet the needs of consumer, small business, and commercial clients, serving Louisiana clients for 128 years, and now serving a regional base with a commitment to developing people and investing in its communities, iberiabank.com. Additional support comes from Luba Workers Comp and 30 North Investments. Thank you.